Hello, and welcome to the Hobby Shelf. No. Hello, and welcome to the Hobby Shelf. This is a podcast where we talk about books, board games, and really, just anything we're interested in. This is episode 10, and today we're going to talk about book clubs and party games. I'm Brenna, a freelance editor and an avid reader. And I'm Oren, a fake English major with a concentration in board games. You guys couldn't see, but Oren just did a little dance to go with that. (laughs) Yeah, gotta dance. So, Oren, what have you been playing lately? I always somehow am surprised by this question. (laughs) (laughs) I have been playing Outer Worlds. We played Dice Forge the other day. Outer Worlds is a video game. Outer Worlds is a video game. Pretty good. I think it was my recommendation of the week on episode six. Something like that. I don't actually think it was episode six, but okay. It was a little bit ago now. Like a hot minute. All right. That's what the cool kids are saying nowadays. A hot minute. A hot minute. Ah. In reference to any amount of time passing. I see. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been playing Outer Worlds. Really fun game. It is like a... I guess we've already talked about it, but really it's just kind of like a steampunk... Not really steampunk. It's a space dystopia. Yep. And uh, you're an adventurer who does things. And it's kind of cool. And then we also played Dice Forge, which I believe I've talked about on the podcast on episode one as well. Dice Forge is a great game. You guys should check it out. Uh, Definitely one of my favorite games of all time. And it's nice when I do get to play it. What have you been reading lately? So I've been reading West by Edith Patu, which is the sequel to East. East. And East is one of my all-time favorite books. I have a tattoo inspired by East. I have two polar bear stuffies named after Charles. I read the book almost yearly. So I was really scared when I saw that she was writing a second one because East is so important to me and I didn't want the second one to ruin it. I didn't want something to happen that was going to make me really upset. And I was pleasantly surprised. I think, I don't remember, I think I gave the book four stars. Mm. Because I enjoyed it a lot. Well, at the beginning, I it took me a long time to get into it because time has passed since East. Like, West is still about Rose and Charles, but now they have a kid. Mm. And it's about them and their child, but it still has Rose going on a quest and she's still the hero of the story. And Oh, so it's kind of like a, that's interesting. Kind of like she grew up with the people who read the original East book. Well, I mean, she was basically an adult in the last one as well. Oh, really? Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> but it it was it respected the first one enough, like it didn't change anything and it still had the integrity that East had, and I liked that about it. Something about East and West both, though you really have to suspend your disbelief. Like something that I really like is how there are so many mythologies worked into it. Mm. So like In the first one, it was a lot of, um, I don't know if it's Norse or like Scandinavian mythology. I think Scandinavian is the same as Norse. Okay, so East of the Sun and West of the Moon was the whole kind of folk tale that East is based off of. And then West had more Scottish folklore in it, which I loved. Yeah. Because I love Scotland. Yeah. So I appreciated that about it. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. Yeah, and then, yeah. There's a snake on the cover of West. There is. Which, I actually, I don't like the cover. (laughs) Is there a snake in the book? There is a snake in the book, 
uh, is he's like is he a magical prince as well no trapped in a bear no like, he's a villain actually and is not that important and i think the only reason why they did that with the cover was to try and mirror the cover of the first book mm. which i think was kind of a poor choice yeah but that is my opinion okay yeah that's and that's well. the only book that i finished this week so i'll have opinions yeah, you have been reading a little bit less because you have been participating in NaNoWriMo. Yeah, I started writing. Orin finally convinced me that I am, in fact, a creative person and that I can write. So I just decided to jump right in. I started on the 9th, though, so I'm quite far behind, but I am catching up. I've been trying to write double what you're supposed to do every day to try and catch up. And, and you've been doing good. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I just passed 17,000 words yesterday. Yeah. Which is a third of the way done? Quarter of the way done? Something like that. In between a quarter and a third. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm feeling good about it. So. For those of you out there, um, this is just now my soapbox and I'm going to yell this out. There are not, I hate when people are like, I'm not creative or I'm not a creative person or, oh, that person is so creative. You know. Creativity is a muscle. There are not creative people in the world. There are just people in the world, and then there are people who know how to be creative. It is not a thing that you have as an as a guess. Creativity is not an attribute that people have. It is a skill that they use. So don't count yourself out of things because you don't often try to be creative. Because the fact is that you do have to try to be creative. And just like any muscle, the more that you use it, the more easy it becomes to do things that other people would think are fairly incredible. Just like how if I were to go into the gym right now, there would be body lifters in there who would lift up what I'm trying to lift. And I would be like, wow, you guys are super strong. And they're like, this is literally nothing to me. And it's only because of the fact that they have worked their skills and their muscles to the point where they can lift things that are difficult for me to lift. (laughs) And I will say, I am finding it a lot easier to write than I expected. Like, it's coming pretty easy to me. I didn't even plan for this story. I'm completely pantsing it, but it's going really well so far. Yeah. And I think that writing is making me a better editor, for sure. Yeah. And that's one of the main reasons that I was constantly encouraging you to write as well, was because I think it's a good way for you to practice the in, like, a very non-theoretical way the skills that you as an editor have, you know? I agree. I think it's helping with developmental editing, especially because now I'm on the other end where I'm struggling to make the story really resonate with readers. Hmm. So it's definitely good practice for me. Yeah. So we are talking this week about book clubs and party games, Mm -hmm. which was actually a request from a listener. It was. Which is pretty cool. Thank you for requesting this. So the request for this episode came from Three Crowns Books on Instagram. Yeah. So thank you, Three Crowns Books. How do you want to go about this today? We've got a couple books, book clubs, and party games kind of prepared. Do you want to go back and forth today, babe? Do you want to go all of the board games, all of the books? How would you like to do it? Let's let's go back and forth. Back and forth. Cool. Yeah. Well, start us off with a book. Okay, well, first I want to kind of give a little bit of an intro to book clubs in general. Absolutely, do it. So I both like and dislike book clubs (laughs) for different reasons. (laughs) I like them because they're a way to build community and you can have deeper, more critical readings of books Mm. when you're reading it with other people and they bring 
new and different perspectives to the book that you might not have seen. So I love that about book clubs. I feel like this may or may not be correct because I've never actually gone to a book club. But when when I think about what a book club is in modern day, modern day society, I feel like it's just like essentially English class, but for adults, like you're not actually learning anything. But you know, like when you're in English class and you do the class book, um, and you'd all read it and then you'd have to kind of everyone would have to write a report but you'd also have like conversations in class about what the book meant I feel like that's exactly what book clubs are kind of I mean I enjoy book clubs a lot more than English class <laughs> and you said you don't learn anything I would say that's completely wrong you learn a lot oh I meant in the traditional sense that no one gets up and lectures yeah no one no one gets up with the intent to teach you stuff. I mean, not all book clubs, we should say there. Some book clubs might have lectures. I yeah, don't know. But usually it's just like a bunch of people buddy reading a book and then you all talk about your opinions and what you learned from the book. And yeah, it's fun. But the reason why, well, there are a couple of reasons why I am not a huge fan of book clubs. And it's, it's not the fault of book clubs at all. It's something to do with me. I'm a mood reader. And I like to read a book and then finish that book and then be like, okay, what am I in the mood to read now? And then I pick up whatever I feel like reading next. And book clubs are usually on a timely schedule. Like you have to read things for a specific time and then show up. And sometimes I just don't want to read that book at that point in time. Yeah. So sometimes I just don't. And that's why I actually have super poor accountability when it comes to book clubs. Yeah. Like, I join them, and then I usually just don't actually do the reading. Well, I feel like it, I feel like that's not always true with you. I feel it's as an outsider lately. watching this. No, no, no. Well, it is better lately, but I was going to say, like, I it's very opposites. Like, you'll there will be a book, and you'll be like, I don't feel like reading this now. Or there will be a book, and you're like, I'm done this book, and there's still three weeks until we meet up. Um, oh, yeah, that happens. <laughs> you know, too. like, <laughs> I feel like... You're very, because of the way that you read, you read in when you're passionate about reading. And so if you're not passionate about reading it that week, then you're not going to read it. Or if you're super passionate about reading it that week, you're probably going to finish the book. So it's like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And the other reason why I don't like book clubs, at least in-person ones, is because I'm going to be honest, I don't like leaving the house. So <laughs> homebody, getting myself dressed and out of the house and to a book club especially if I didn't love the book, is difficult. Yeah, you know, it's so difficult. You just get up in the morning and you're like, I'm going to put on my high-waisted jeans. Oh my goodness. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to talk to some people. Nope, I'm going to stay in bed. <laughs> <laughs> but so lately I actually like there are book clubs online. Like a lot of people on Bookstagram do buddy reads and book clubs online. And I love that because I can participate and stay in my pajamas. Yeah. 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 Do you want to kind of give an intro to party games? Um, party games are... Yeah, I have a very... I'm like Brenna. I like party games sometimes. I dislike party games sometimes. I think that party games really... The, the factor that makes a party game fun is not necessarily the game. There are lots of games that you can play, and they are really well-designed party games or regular games. But I think a really well-designed party game is a game that has just enough complexity to keep people interested in the game, but not too much complexity that people want to take it more seriously than it should be taken. And I think it really, like I said, it depends on the crowd. So if you get a group of like eight or nine people together, right? 
and they're really casual gamers. Like, they don't play board games pretty much ever, but because they're over at my house, they're going to play games, right? So we get a board game out. And for example, I've had times where I pull out Cards Against Humanity, and we'll play Cards Against Humanity, and it'll be fun for, like, the first three hands, and then before it even makes it around the entire table, people have lost interest. And that's that has nothing to do with, like, Cards Against Humanity is not a complicated game, but I would argue that it, it's on the other side of the tracks where it's almost too complicated, or too simple to actually keep people's attention, especially because I think the other thing that really is playing against party games for me is that oftentimes the people who want to play party games, not the people who want to play party games, oftentimes when a party game comes out, if it's with really casual people who do not want to, who do, do not normally play games and they're just at a party, for example, they're often going to be a little intoxicated <laughs> and playing, playing Cards Against Humanity, which is super simple, works with intoxicated people, but it only works for so long that they are actually, like, it's almost like a compound, like, when you're intoxicated, you're not going to be very interested in a game for very long, <laughs> and you can't play a complicated game because they're intoxicated, so I, I think that part games are really fun when you have the right people there, so yeah, I don't know, other than that, like, if you get the right people, and there's enough of them, part games are a great time. I love party games. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll start and I'll I'll tell you guys about a time when I had a really great experience with a party game. And actually, this isn't even on the list. I only thought about this just now when we started talking about this. Um, this game is called Two Rooms and a Boom. It is a game that you actually play standing up. Um, and I believe you can play this with any number of people. This was a game that was launched with a lot of the hidden motive, motive games. So what I mean by hidden motive is it is a game where... Everyone essentially has a card that tells them what their motive is in the game. And then your goal in the game in order to win is usually to achieve that goal. This is not always the case. Like, I think the most basic and maybe the most common example of a hidden motive game would be the, like, the game Mafia, which is a game that you can play with regular cards. Uh, the more popular version of it right now would probably be called One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Um, but regardless, you essentially, you're past a roll card. And even if your role is just the villager, no one knows that you're the villager. And so you kind of have to figure out, your, the goal of the game is to figure out who is who so that you can play accordingly and strategize accordingly. Two rooms and a boom is played with literally two rooms and each person is dealt a card and then they are randomly separated into two rooms. <laughs> and the there are two teams in two rooms and a boom. Well, actually you can play with three technically, but there are two basic teams if you're playing the basic game. There are, um, and... Uh, forgive me, I always feel bad talking about this game. This game might get a little political here, or a little... Mm. I do not mean any of the things that I'm about to say, which are rules of the game, in any way that is offensive. So there are two teams in the game, and one team is the President of the United States, and the other are the terrorists. Uh, <laughs> okay, Yeah. Wow. Alrighty then. Yeah, legit. So, and the goal of the game is, if you are the terrorists... You, your goal is to assassinate the president, and if you are the president, your goal is to save the president. Um, this has gone in a direction I was not expecting. Yeah, but so this game is just really, really fun if you have the right group of people. So essentially, every turn is a hostage situation. There's a room of people. There's a room of people, and everyone in the room has to negotiate 
who one person that they are going to send to the other room. And I believe you're allowed to ask people a very specific question and they can choose to answer, they can choose to not answer. You can't ask them which team they're on, but like there are ways that you can try to get people to know what team you're on or what team they're on. Um, and eventually you're going to send hostages, each room sends one hostage to the other room every turn. And there are three turns. At the end of three turns, if the bomber is in the room with the terrorist, or sorry, the bomber is in the room with the president, the terrorists win. But if the president is in the opposite room, the presidency wins. This sounds gruesome, but it's actually hilarious and fun because you're trying to like figure out who's on whose team. And if you take it in a lighthearted spirit, it's definitely a fun game. There's also my favorite part of this game is you can add in third factions, which are essentially like there's the guy who is actually just a civilian who walked into this room and he doesn't understand what's going on. <laughs> and his goal is to figure out that he's the only civilian in the room. So that like, because it's the possibility that there's more civilians in the room. There's the guy who walked into the room and is literally an amnesiac. He doesn't remember whose side of the war he's on. So he's trying to figure out <laughs> whose side he's supposed to be on because there's supposed to be an equal number of uh, red versus blue team. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So this is a good party game. I definitely recommend checking this one out. It's called Two Rooms and a Boom. Do not bring this to the table if you are in a group of people who might get offended. Fair enough. Yeah. But if you are not in a group of people who won't get offended... I wait. feel like there is a way to have the same game without that concept. <laughs> the terrorists and the presidency? Yeah. I definitely think there is. Um, I think it's just more of a theme that they went with, you hmm. know? Not sure I like it, but okay. I think terrorism and... This is going to be a little bit of a little bit of a tangent, but... I think that terrorism and specifically the fact that it's like blue and president makes you think that it is specifically referring to essentially the United States of America and not not Islam, but ISIS. And by extension of that and through Islamophobia, Islam. Yeah, that's <laughs> Do you know what I, mean? I feel like it's a little bit. So it, it definitely is like a little bit of a charged subject in our society. So I, I understand that people might think this game is a little bit too not for them but there i don't remember but i'm fairly certain in the game there's actually no indication of any form of actual allegiance to anything it's only because of our social perception that we think that which honestly is not wrong i i think i think our social perception of that is like the fact that islamophobia exists is bad but like it's not wrong to read things into games that were not intended by the author is what I'm trying to say, I guess. What do you think about that, babe? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think it's wrong to read things into it. I mean, I think it's impossible not to mm -hmm. because we all come to whatever we're experiencing with our own experiences and perception and whatever we experience is our reality, right? Yeah. So, but I also have a hard time believing that a game that uses terrorists and the president doesn't kind of have some kind of political message backing it. Yeah, I'm wondering... Even if they're meaning it to be funny. I'm wondering now, even if, like, if I'm... Like, the more I think about this, I'm wondering if I, at that party, only heard and thought of it as terrorist and president, or if it was just red team and then team leader and then blue team and then team leader. That would make way more sense to I me. Think it, I think it would, but... Part of me also is a little bit nervous that it actually definitely said terrorists and the president. Well, we'll have to look it up. Yeah. Anyways, All you right. guys can look it up and you guys can check it out. It is actually a fun game. 
if you can get over the, um, the race, not racially, but, uh, politically, politically charged, charged atmosphere it lives in. <laughs> so what's your first book club or book? Well, I'm going to mention, first I'm going to mention two books that I read for book clubs that I've mentioned before on the podcast. So I'm not going to go in depth about them. I'm just going to kind of talk about my experiences with them. Okay, yeah. So the first one's called The World on Either Side by Diane Tarana. Mm -hmm. I talked about this one on episode four, so you can go back there to listen to the summary. Uh, I loved this book so much. I still think about it all the time. I want to reread it, actually, mm. because I think it, it was... It's got some really important life messages in it. Sadly, I had a migraine on the night when the book club actually was happening, so I couldn't go to it. Oh. So I didn't get to actually talk to people about it, and it makes me kind of sad. But it was probably the favorite, my favorite book that I'd read for that specific book club. So did you not get to the chance to ask anyone what they thought about the book at all? No, I didn't, because Aww. I'm not in touch with any of those people outside of the book club. That makes me sad. Yeah. So if anyone out there has read it, though, come talk to me about it. I'd love to discuss it. <laughs> and then the second book that I read recently for a book club that I've also talked about it on the podcast is The Radium Girls by Kate Moore. Mm -hmm. And I talked about that on episode five and episode seven. That one I did for an Instagram book club. We did it over the course of a month and split it into, well, the book is already split into three parts. So it just worked really well to yeah. split into three sections. Yeah. That was fun because we all talked about it on Sundays when we were finished that part of the book. Everyone kind of just went into their Instagram messages. We had a group chat and just talked about it there. Mm -hmm. So it was fun to talk about that one. The only thing with Radium Girls, I love the book, but with Radium Girls as a book club book, it to me was kind of lacking on the discussion end because you can't really read that book and then deny that the things that happened to the girls were horrible and that the company wasn't awful. There's not a lot of angles to take on the book. It's just yeah. kind of like... It's like everyone just agrees, basically, yeah. about what's happening. There's no real pushback yeah. on topics. So. Well, you kind of answered my question, but I had a question I was going to ask, and that was, did anyone in the book club bring to your attention something that you might not have noticed? Or, like, did you have... Did anyone say anything that really stood out to you, I guess, is what I want to know. When it came to the Radium Girls, not really. Not really? Yeah. Oh. There were other ones, though, in my other book club that I'm going to talk about okay. after, but I will let you explain another party game. Okay, cool, cool. So, party games. Two rooms and a boom. Good if you are at a party game where people are up, moving around, and are active, right? Next party game I'm going to talk about. Really good if you are in more of a cozy scenario, less people moving around. Everyone's there, is, and this game is especially good if you have not a wide table, but like just a very open space for people to gather at. This is called, and you can argue whether or not that you think this is a party game. I think this is a party game. So we're going to talk about it like it's a party game. Um, we're going to talk about Codenames, which is a very popular game. Lots of people probably already know about Codenames, but for those of you who are really into the book side, but not really into the board game side. Codenames is a board game, again, kind of a hidden motive game, except the team lines are very clear. You know who is on the red team and you know who's on the blue team. This is a, the goal of this game is for essentially everyone on each team has one person who is their spy master is what it calls it in the game. But that person is giving other people a clue and a number. Then in front of them, Visualize with me for a second. <laughs> Look at the table in front of you. There is a grid of cards. Imagine playing cards, but smaller. Laid out in front of you on a five by six row. 
Oh, no, four by five row. <laughs> or four by five grid. There we go. I'm really good at describing things <laughs> that sound real. Then, beyond the grid, there is a person sitting with a little card in front of them. In fact, there's two people. Those are your spy masters. They look up you, look up at you and say, Gorilla 3. Then you have to essentially look at the grid, which is either made up of... There's actually many different versions of this game, but the grid is made up of either words or pictures or sometimes combinations of both. And when they tell you the hint Gorilla 3, that means that there are three things, at least three things, that they connected to the word Gorilla on the grid. So say there's the word ape on the grid. It's very clear that that one connects to Gorilla. Another one that would be more difficult to possibly connect to Gorilla would be, I guess, Zoo. Zoo doesn't necessarily mean Gorilla, but for those people out there, they might think Gorilla when they think of Zoo, right? Yeah, and then so on and so forth. And each one that you think they were trying to get you to guess, you touch, and then they have a set of things that they put out. By things that they put out, I mean essentially just card covers that show you if you were right or if you were wrong. And the goal of the game is for each team to be the first one to guess all of their related cards on the grid. This game can be super fun. This game like, is, is fun. It can be hilarious, though, because sometimes someone will give a clue and then no one can figure out the words. And then after the game is over, they'll, like, explain to you what they were thinking and you're like, that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a fun game to play, again, with the right group of people. You need people who are willing to sit down for lengths of time. Um, not really sit down, but, like, when each team is guessing, it can be a long time. So the other team needs the ability to stay focused, essentially. Well, this is also a game where you can sabotage the other team. Yeah. Which is really fun. Technically, in the rules, the spy masters are allowed to say only the one thing. They'll hint and then say nothing at all. Um, which is very difficult if you have a group of really funny people, because it's very difficult to not respond. But also, I don't believe that the other... Well, Often, it is taboo for the other group to say things because oftentimes the it, new players will actually want to be like, oh, I know what it is. It's this. When they're actually helping the other team and it's like, oh, no, don't do that. But what really is fun, like what Brenna said, is when like people say, oh, I know what it is. It's definitely this. And it's be like, very clearly not. Or Well, gorillas eat bananas, so it's obviously the banana, even though you don't think it's a banana at all. Yeah, or like... You know, I definitely think I saw a gorilla last week in China. So it's definitely China. They're telling you guys it's China. That's a better example. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of, and it, it, sometimes it's really bad. Sometimes it's funny. I, I have one, this infuriated me. I was the spy master and you know who you are, Evan. <laughs> we were playing this game and I gave a great hint that had to do with staff. Oh, and this was me as well. He sabotaged me. Yeah, it was... Okay, so I gave a hint, and it, it was Staff 3, okay? And it was essentially like... I don't remember what it was, but one of the things that connected it to it was a collection of staff. As in, you collect your staff in front of you. This makes less sense now that I'm talking about it on a <laughs> podcast. Oh my gosh. But you collect... Like, if you were to collect your staff for a meeting, you have a collection of staff in front of you. And Evan was all like, oh, yeah, Gandalf has a collection of stabs. And I was like, mm. yeah, Because they did then, not guess it at that point. Because, well, because obviously then I was like, well, it's, it's not going to be like a collection then. Yeah. 
Evan, I will literally always remember that day. So thank you. So good. Also, Codenames is really fun because it comes with, it makes funny jokes that are inside for you and the people who have played that game. Like, for anyone who knows and was there for this time, Eagle Steak. That's a thing that happened. Or Hercules. Or Hercules, yeah. Speaking because... of Hercules, uh, you can get different themes of Codenames. Oh, yeah. You can get different themes of Codenames. You can get, there's like a Disney-themed one, Harry Potter-themed one. Marvel now. Oh, Marvel, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like everything is getting this nowadays. Um, there might be a Game of Thrones-themed one. Oh, probably. There there are like a lot of different themes for Codenames. So if you and your friends are really into Disney, get... You know what? Actually, I was about to say get the Disney one. If you and your friends are really hardcore into Disney... Don't get the Disney one because you will be disappointed at how easy it is. You play If you play the no, Disney one with Disney people, it is so easy. Not necessarily. Because if you have, say you've got a bunch of people out and you've got the word princess, like you give the clue princess, half the board could be princesses. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really feel like every time I've played Codenames Disney, it has been so easy. I disagree. Okay. Well, maybe people will have to try the game and tell us what they think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess I'll just move on to the next party game. So this is a good one if you have codenames, good for people sitting down. The next game that I'm going to talk about today is... Hmm. Okay, we're going to move from just a group of people that are willing to sit down and pay attention to a group of people that it doesn't matter. This is actually a great game. Codenames, you kind of need like a place for everyone to gather and you need a little bit of a table. This game is really good if you're just sitting in like a living room, you don't have a table. Uh, coffee tables work for this game. Anything really works for this game. This game is called Telestrations. Oh, Telestrations is fun. Yeah, so Telestrations comes with a bunch of pads of essentially dry erase. What is the surface that you write on it's with like a dry whiteboard. erase market? Yeah, okay. They're like portable whiteboards and each one is a flip book of a certain number of portable whiteboards. And what happens is you can play this game two ways. I've played it two ways. And it really depends on the group that you're with. You can play this game by drawing a card from the deck of cards and then rolling a dice and then telling everyone, okay, your card has a word on it and I've rolled this number. That is your word for this game. Then you would write that word down on your Telestrations book and then you would draw that word. <laughs> and by draw that word, I mean draw something to get people to guess that word. If you've ever played the game Telephone, you kind of get the gist of what Telestrations is. Telestrations it's... is like a mixture of Pictionary and Telephone. Yeah. So essentially you draw the word and then you pass it along and then the person has to look at just your drawing and then guess what the word is. And then they pass it on. And it can be phrases and it can be so on. The other way to play this game is you just ignore the deck of cards completely and have people write down whatever the heck they want to write. And it gets really crazy when you do this. And it's really fun. This game, like, I like to bring this game to gatherings where people are not into board games. And also, if people don't really know each other, this is a really fun game to play. It is, absolutely. Like, yeah, for, for you know, it, next time you're at an awkward family reunion where, you know, there's, like, tons of people that you don't really know, and you, you're one, you're like me, so you, no matter where you go, you have to bring a board game, just bring Telestrations. People will probably play it with you, and they'll have a great time. Mm -hmm. What is it, your next book club book, or book club experience that you want to talk about? I want to talk about a specific book. So the book club that I'm in, the one that I read The World on Either Side for, it's called uh, YA Books for Adults. 
basically, so it's like all older people who discuss YA books. So one of the books that we discussed, I actually think this was the first one, it was called Emergency Contact by Mary H.K. Choi. Oh, I remember this book. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> I got rid of it because I only gave it three stars, but I kind of regret it because the cover was really nice. Yeah, that's literally why I remember this book. Because <laughs> of the cover. cover. <laughs> it was a really pretty cover. So it's about a girl named Penny who is in high school and wants to be a writer, and this guy named Sam who lives above a, a cafe and he just sleeps on a mattress on the floor and has, like, no money at all, and he wants to direct movies. So they kind of meet in an awkward situation and sort of accidentally become text buddies. Like, <laughs> they... I can't remember exactly what happens, but they're like, oh, tell me, like, make sure you get home safe. So text me when you get home. And then that just kind of starts them on this text relationship. So the book itself was just kind of meh for me. Like the romance was fine. But the part of the book that I liked the most was the text messages in the book. Because a lot of the book is written in these text communications between Sam and Penny. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like poetry in a way. Because when they text each other each message, it's on a separate line, mm. you know, like how it would actually look if you're texting on a phone screen. Yep. So the way that you read it, like it changes the rhythm that you read it and the tone oh, changes. That and, is really cool. Yeah. And like the time between their messages affects how you interpret them. And Yeah. Does it give you timestamps and red receipts? Ooh. Well, it doesn't give you red receipts, but like sometimes Penny will be like doing something and she'll keep checking her phone because Sam's not answering. Hmm. And so, like, you have to wait with the character to see what the other character is going to reply. Yeah. Gives you that teenage suspense. Oh my gosh, what if Brad doesn't text me back? Ah. <laughs> sort of. But it's, <laughs> it's a little less teen trashy. <laughs> um, but this was one of the books where I was pleasantly surprised because I didn't love the book. And then I went to the book club and talked about it with everyone and got different people's feedback on the importance of the characters, and we talked about how the text actually was poetry. Like, some people didn't realize that those text messages could be read mm -hmm. as poetic. Mm -hmm. So it was really interesting, and I actually came away from that book club meeting almost wanting to bump the book up a star. Okay. Because hearing other people's perspectives changed my perspective on it. Mm. So. That's rare. I know. Today's society, listening to other people talk and then changing what you think based on it? Wow. What a novel concept. Yeah, so I talked about a game where... One game where you're actually active, standing up, moving around. Game where it's really easy to play around just a living room. Game to play around at a table with a large group of gather... Or large place of gathering. I'm going to talk about another one that is good for a very large group of people, but kind of needs a central place to gather. Um, also, can I just do a little shout out here? We talked about Fog of Love two episodes ago, three episodes ago, matchmaking episode. Matchmaking, that was on episode eight. Yeah, so two episodes ago. Fog of Love, I actually would argue, depending on your crowd, even though it's a two-player game, can feel like a party game. Just saying, because you get people around kind of spectating and experiencing it, and they kind of, it's kind of like the game, it's kind of like, what really makes, um, not what really makes, but one of the things that makes codenames so fun is when people are like shouting things at you and they're really funny. And I think Fog of Love can be done that way. Anyways, <laughs> little short little stint there. Another game that I think I'm excited for and 
requires a general place of gathering and is really good for a very large group of people if they are all willing to play a game. And I actually would argue that this game requires a little less concentration or commitment to be there than Codenames because you kind of have a better idea of what's going on. You could like pop in and out of this one. Exactly. This game is called Wavelength. This is a game that I backed on Kickstarter a couple months ago. No, a couple months ago? That was a long time ago. We're still waiting for it, though. Yeah, they just finished production, so they are going to be sending it to us, I believe, end of the year. We might have it by Christmas, might have it by New Year's, who knows? But this is a game where essentially there are two teams, and I believe you can play the same way like that you play code names, where there are two spy masters, or you can have just one. But essentially, this person is going to set a dial, and by dial, I'm going to do another visualization come to the podcast for our ASMR visualization. (laughs) All right. So the table is in front of you. On the table, there is a box. And standing in this box is a timer looking thing. On this timer looking thing, there is a screen that if you were to grab, you could twist and bring it to the left. And if you were to bring it to the left, it would reveal behind the screen a dial. And the dial has a bullseye on it. The person who is the spy master or clue giver in this game is going to set that dial to a random location on the thing, then close the screen. Then they are going to turn the dial to everyone else. Then they are going to draw two cards, or no, one card. I believe they draw two cards. They draw two cards from a deck of spectrums. These are spectrums that give you an idea of what you have to give as a clue. So if you were to draw the card that said Harry to Hairless, you then assign Hairless to one side of the dial and Harry to the other side of the dial. And then you have to give a hint to every player in the game to get them to guess where your bullseye is between those two spectrums. (laughs) So if you drew the Harry to Hairless card, you could say... You could say Vin Diesel for, like, the hairless side, or Cousin It for the hairy side. You could, except that's not really the goal of the game. The goal is to give one hint. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, if you think in your head who's on either end of the spectrum, and then you have to try and pick someone somewhere in between Hairless Vin Diesel. (laughs) Oh. Um, (laughs) and then you have to pick, say you put the bullseye closer to the cousin it side you might say you know lion mane it's a pretty hairy thing not the most hairy thing in existence but a lion a lion's mane yeah Yeah. that's just purely hair yeah anyways (laughs) i might be bad at this game (laughs) but then i don't know you could pick some random person and then everyone has to try and figure out okay how hairy is this person on the the scale of hairiness. I think this game works a lot better. I am I'm excited for chaos to ensue when we get this board game out. Me too. Um I think this game would be a lot easier for people who know celebrities. <laughs> um because well, no, for example it, it doesn't necessarily have to be celebrities though. Yeah, I know. It doesn't have to be celebrities, but like I I don't know. It really this game might rely a little bit on inside information, if that makes sense. Like if you know people really well, you will probably do really well at this game. So I can think of two people who would be really, really good at this game. What's your next book? Uh, my next book is another book that I read for the YA for Adults book club. It is called Frontlines by Michael Grant. It's an alternate World War II history that follows. Well, okay, I'll give the alternate history. So the alternate history is that women are able to volunteer in the war, like they're able to enlist as soldiers in the war. 
and they... I can't remember if they get drafted as well. I think they do. I think women also get drafted. So it's like what, how the war would have happened if women had had a larger role in it. Because of course, women did have a role in the war. This is just saying like, if the women actually were on the front lines, how would it have gone? Mm. So the story follows three women named Rainy, Frangie, and Rio, and all three of them volunteer, so all three of them enlist for different reasons, but I don't think any of them are really expecting to be put on the front lines. But then Rio becomes like a sharpshooter, and Rainy, I think? Yeah, Rainy becomes like a spy. Mm. Like, she becomes kind of higher up in intelligence, and then Frangie, I believe, is like a medic on the front lines. Mm. So, yeah, this book was interesting. I also didn't love it when I first read it because I felt like it kind of detracted from the women who actually fought in the war. Yeah. Like, my view, and I still kind of hold this view, I'm like, why do we need an alternate history when there were actually women who fought in the war? When you could tell, like, why tell the story of fake women? When you could tell the story of the real women who actually went out you know? But then when I went to the book club, um, the person who runs the book club, she was like, well, this is an important story though to get out, especially for young adult readers or for like teenage women. It's good for them to see this kind of thing, to see kind of what would have happened if this had happened. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I don't know. I still have mixed feelings about it, but it was another really interesting book to read and then discuss with people because people brought lots of different views to the table about how they felt about the women fighting on the front lines and yeah. whether or not this was a good message to send out. And yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah. You told me about this book when you were reading it and my gripe with it was the fact that it seemed like the person, you know, when people like create an alternate universe but then they just don't go, like, they they don't go far enough yeah. with their creative reign of the place. Like, like if you're making, if you're making a world or an alternate universe, right, you have full reign. You can completely decide anything that happens in that universe. Yeah. And I remember you telling me this about this book, and you were saying that the women were allowed to essentially enlist in the war and were, or and were conscripted. Oh, but there was still sexism. But they, yeah, but they were, they were still heavily discriminated against. And like, so women who were in, like, who were serving, essentially, like, if they had a higher up male officer, that that male officer wouldn't respect them. You know what I mean? Like, see, I almost think it would have been way more interesting to write the alternate history of World War II, where women were actually equal to men, and then fought that way. Yeah. Not where they had to still struggle through the ranks, because I agree with you that it was it was different, but it wasn't different enough. Yeah, I think that I agree with you. I think that's a more interesting and I would argue more important story because if we had it, would it's the story of if we had not been essentially fighting each other and only focused on achieving the common goal of, I guess, destroying Nazi Germany, how would that have gone? Mm-hmm. How much better would society have been if women had equal rights. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. that feels like the story that I want to hear. Yeah. Not necessarily that people have to write what I want to hear, but I feel like that is... No, but I agree. That would have been a better story. In that book, other than the fact that she was saying that, like, this is something that, like, I think young people need to hear, like, did anyone say anything that really stood out to you other than that, or was it just kind of like... The most interesting thing for me to hear 
when we were talking about it was probably which character everyone liked the best. Because different people relate to different characters because of their own experiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that was interesting to hear. Mm. Just how, why, how and why people related to one character over another. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Who was your favorite character? My favorite character, I don't really, I don't know that I had a favorite. I had a hard time picking a favorite because it felt like these three women were supposed to have kind of equal standing in the book, but Rio was the kind of the main person. That's the medic one? No, Rio was the one she became a sharpshooter. Ah, okay. But I, I don't know that I really had a favorite. Okay. I quite liked Rainy. The spy? Yeah. Apparently Rainy gets, because this is a series... Rainy gets a lot more in-depth, like there's more focus on her in the following books, yeah. which I still need to read. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's move on with party games. I've got two more games that definitely require a table to play. So if you're playing a party game, this is the kind of party game that you pull out when you know the people pretty well um, and they are all interested in playing a game. And they are willing to sit down for 30 to thirty minutes to an hour to play the games. And these two games are Welcome To and On Tour, which we've already talked about. So I'm just going to breeze over them and tell you why I think these are really great party games. Uh, we talked about Welcome To on Episode 4, and we talked about On Tour on Episode 8. So definitely go check them out for the synopsis of those actual board games. For just a kind of, I guess, to give people an idea if they haven't listened to it, these are both what is referred to as a genre called roll and write games, which essentially if you've played Monopoly, uh, sorry, if you've played Yahtzee, (laughs) not Monopoly, if you've played Yahtzee, you know what a roll and write is. You roll and then you write. In And they both have their own restrictions on how you can write and what the goal is of the game. They're not exactly like Yahtzee. Of course, in fact, I'd argue that they're very, very different. In fact, Welcome To doesn't even have dice in it. But regardless of that, you are getting a set of numbers and then you are attempting to write them in a correct order so that you can get the most points at the end of the game. I think these games are really good for groups of people who came over like if you're having a party not a party if you're having a games night and suddenly 12 people are coming to that games night (laughs) you know like that's a lot of people these are two games that you can play with up to 12 people um i will say on tour only comes with four of their dry erase boards in the box but you can order replacements don't they come with six um no they, they come with four and then you can order four more oh okay yeah Um, But you can order more of the dry erase boards, so you could technically play this game with any number of people, although you'd need a pretty big room. And I think that's the same problem with Welcome To. That's why, like, Welcome To literally has no player cap. You can play this with any number of people. They arbitrarily assigned it the number of 1 to 100 people. The only thing is you need to have, like, everyone needs to be able to see the main three cards. Exactly. And that's the same deal with... Welcome, or sorry, with On Tour, you need to be able to see the dice that are rolled. These are really good games if, like I said, if you have a, you're having a games night and a bunch of people showed up and you don't want to split into a couple separate groups to play games, this is a good way to start the games night. You know, people are just showing up. Um, it's not going to take very long to play the games. You just kind of all get, get Welcome To out on the table and then, well, I bumped the thing again. Gosh, I need to stop moving my hands. Um, <laughs> start leaning forward. Yeah. You get welcome to on the table and then you just kind of play it for a little bit. And it's a very 
uh, quick and I wouldn't say welcome to is actually the more complicated of the two, but if you, yeah, I would argue these games are really good for party games. If you have the right crowd of people who are willing to dedicate 30 minutes to an hour and are willing to like, this is the party game that you play at a board game party. <laughs> sure. If that makes sense. An another party game that's a little bit lighter, but is still good for a lot of people and is very easy, I think, to understand is Sushi Go Party. Oh, I forgot about this one. we talked about on episode five, so you can go back and listen to that. Definitely. Sushi Go Party is a really good game. It's a drafting game. Um, so drafting is a mechanic where you pass around cards around a table and you are eventually going to collect a hand of your own. And Sushi Go is another one of those games. It caps at eight people. So again, I would argue this is a game like... And make sure you get the party edition if you want eight people. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say Sushi Go is... I would put it in the same category as Welcome To and On Tour of in that like this is this is not the party game that you pull out when a bunch of people are over at your house for New Year's and are kind of intoxicated. Yeah, no, you need a little bit more focus. <laughs> yeah, no, this this game won't be fun if people are not really dedicated to playing the game. Yeah. We should get to our recommendations of the week. Okay, cool, cool. Well, what's your recommendation of the week? My recommendation of the week, since I have been writing lately, I'm going to recommend a reference book that I use. I use this reference book when I am editing as well, because it helps me think of things when I'm trying to give authors advice. But I have also found myself using it on a regular basis when I'm writing, because I just need this reference, and I think everyone should use this book. Yeah. Because it is so important when it comes to show, don't tell. So if you are trying to write about a character's emotions, if you want to draw attention to those emotions, it is much better to show the character's emotions through their actions or their words or their body language rather than saying, she felt blah. Like, you don't want to tell the readers what the character is feeling, you want to show it. And a good way to, to do that is to reference the Emotion Thesaurus, A Writer's Guide to Character Expression by Angela Ackerman and Becca Plugi... Oh, I can't say her name. Plugi? Becca Puglisi? Oh, Puglisi. It's a hard name. Puglisi. Puglisi. Puglisi? Becca Puglisi. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this book is really good because what it does is it lists... Like, it has different entries for, I think it's 130 different emotions. So you would flip to, and it's alphabetical, so it's really easy to go through. You flip to happiness, you flip it open, and it will tell you a bunch of body language that people who are happy will display. So, you know, they'll smile, they'll clap their hands, they'll be bouncing around, like, that kind of thing. And it will also give you like internal things, like internal actions, not she felt happiness, but maybe she felt, I don't know, butterflies in her stomach or something like she that. She felt giddy or... Like that it'll... She felt like she was buzzing with energy. Or... Yeah. Like it'll give you internal feelings. It'll give you how people will act if they're suppressing that emotion. Mm -hmm. So if you are stumped on how to describe someone's body language, you just flip to your emotion that you're trying to describe and then you can go through the list. And even if you don't use something on the list, it will probably inspire you or help you get a better picture in your head. Yeah. So it is like an invaluable resource for both writers and editors. Yeah. I think this book is great. I also think this book is really funny because I remember when Brenna got it, she was so excited about it. She was like, oh my gosh, all the emotions that I can look at and write about. And I'm like, yay. 
I, writers' reference books are just great. Yeah, you're cute. Thanks. <laughs> um, okay, uh, my recommendation of the week, which I definitely did not forget, is The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. I feel bad recommending Disney+, Plus or recommending anything. I work for Disney, so I love Disney. Like, I, I, I work at a Disney store, so I see... I'm surrounded by people who are obsessed with Disney all day. I love Disney. Um, they're a great company to work for at least in the Disney store where I am. I think I'm a little jaded on some of the things that Disney has or Disney produces because of my experience on the inside. But you still recommend The Mandalorian. I definitely do. Mandalorian, I am re- I've been excited about this show for a while. Definitely check it out. Uh, Disney Plus also, like, say what you will about their outages on the day of release and some of the flaws that they have on the service. Disney Plus is great. I've been re-watching Phineas and Ferb um, because I don't know why I just decided to rewatch all of Phineas and Ferb. And I love that show. I love almost everything that they have on Disney plus. I am super excited. for. They brought back all the shows that I used to watch as a kid. Yeah. And they've I'm got so that. Excited. So Raven, they've got, what's this? Malcolm in the middle. Um, Malcolm in the middle is in Disney. Yeah. It's on there. What? Yeah. For sure. Are you sure? Oh, I'm going to look it up right now. They have even Stevens, Boy Meets World, Lizzie McGuire. They've got a lot of stuff on Disney+. Plus. Check it out. Check out The Mandalorian, though, because I actually, I'm excited. So there's two reasons why I'm excited for this. Well, first of all, I'm a Star Wars fan, so I like Star Wars. Second of all, the person who is directing The Mandalorian is the person who made Star Wars Rebels as well as Star Wars The Clone Wars, the the uh, animated series. And for people who are really hardcore fans of Star Wars, I've never actually seen those shows, but for people who are really, really into Star Wars, they have loved what this creative director has done with those shows because they think that he is doing the series justice as opposed to a lot of the really hardcore Star Wars fans who don't like the new movies coming out. I will say I like pretty much most of the Star Wars movies that have come out, and I'm excited about The Mandalorian. Episode 2, I think, came out today or something like that, so check it out. Cool. Yeah. Did you find Malcolm in the Middle? Oh, let me let me just look it up. I'm like positive that is not a Disney show. I swear, they don't have it. It's not a Disney show. It was never on Disney Channel. That's like a what ABC or something. I need to see. I need to see. One sec. We gotta <laughs> pause our ending of this episode just so I can look this up. Is Smart Guy on there? Yeah, Smart Guy's <gasps> on there. Yes, I love Smart Guy. <sighs> I don't know. I literally, you know what? Maybe I was thinking about a meme I saw on Reddit today. Anyways. Okay. Malcolm in the Middle is from Fox. Well, we own Fox. 20th Century Fox. We own 20th Century Fox. No, Fox. Uh, Disney owns Fox 20th Century Broadcasting Fox. Broadcasting Company. I like how I say we. I work in a Disney store, therefore I am we. <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode 10 of The Hobby Shelf. We hope you enjoyed it, and we would greatly appreciate if you would click that subscribe button and leave us a review so other people can find us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Hobby Shelf. You can also find us at our email at thehobbyshelfpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us finally as well on brennadaviesediting.com slash thehobbyshelf. All of the books and games that we've mentioned in the show will be in the show notes along with our recommendations of the week. 
We are grateful to record this podcast on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Sutina, the Stony Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation of Region 3, and all people who make their home in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta, where we live, play, and work. Definitely listen to our next episode where we talk about our favorite game, Mechanics. That's a wrench for those of you listening and cannot see me making that gesture. Uh, And book tropes. And remember, keep expanding your shelf.